Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. UK black metal band Ninkarsag released their second album, Dread March of the Solemn Gods, on April 30th of 2021. Dread March of Solemn Gods was released to great reception, selling out of their gold vinyl presses within 24 hours. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Kyle Nesbitt, the band's rhythm guitarist and vocalist. Ninkarsag most recently played the Fortress Open Air Festival in North Yorkshire, England, alongside Bolger, Winterfilleth, Zor, Panopticon, and many more. They are already scheduled to play Jorvik Bridge of Destiny in January of 2023. Kyle, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. I recently uh, watched your interview with Metal Health and learned a bit about the origin of your band name. I know you've touched on it before, but um, in short, it's named after the Sumerian Mother Fertility Goddess of the Mountains. And you mentioned that it was more of a mountain, uh, the mountainous aspect that you were focusing on um, and to create a sense of grandeur. How do you add on to this with your music and your lyrics? Well, I try and write lyrics, which I find to be very sort of inspiring and almost like empowering in a way. You know, I always treat the lyrical subject matter, especially with the new album. I've tried to write something that was a bit more personal and a bit more sort of, um, you know, secretive in a way, but also there's layers to it where people can really, you know, delve a bit deep into it and sort of take what they want from it rather than just writing like specific songs about like specific subject matter. I thought I'd leave it sort of open to interpretation in a way. And the mountainous aspect to that is, well, I mean, I live in the in northwest of England in the not far from the mountains. So I spend quite a lot of time in that region anyway. So a lot of the lyrics are actually wrote, written in, in the mountains. So I sort of really wanted to create that sense of grandeur, but almost in like a sort of, um, like I say, a sort of empowering way where, you know, you can be up there and you can listen to the album and sort of really um, get, a, get a feel for what the lyrics are about, you know, in the cold and the dark and the sunsets and the sunrises and things like that. And just when you're up there alone and... The rest of the world doesn't seem to really matter all that much. You can just really focus on yourself and your surroundings. And I tried to create that feeling with the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And there's something being in the mountains that's kind of, um, you get the feeling of serenity and peacefulness. Yeah. And in this modern world where it's fucking bedlam nine to five, you know, it, you need to take a step back from, from the chaos of life, I think. And for me, you know, I'm lucky to have that on my doorstep. So I do try and spend a lot of time. <clears throat> away from human beings so you know it's uh yeah it looks well for me so but yeah if i can get it if i can get that across in the in the lyrics then i think that's you know job, job well done how far do you have to travel for uh to, to reach the mountains in your area uh, about 20 30 minutes well that's not so bad so, yeah. we've got um we've got our mountain range uh about an hour an hour maybe an hour and a half away from where i live in calgary yeah. um so like it's really close, but then if you go three hours north to say Edmonton in the same province, um, it takes them so much longer get, to get to the mountains. But yeah. I guess where I'm going with that is like we just don't we don't take advantage of them as much as we should. No, I feel like the mountains in Canada are probably twice and triple the size of what we have in England. So <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, you know, it's, to me they're, they're special. So yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting they moved away from the mythology in that regard, um, but still choose to reference many other like female mythological beings associated with death. You talk about that kind of stuff a lot, but do you also bring in some personal experience to your lyrics? Well, I, I try to. You know, like I said, this album in particular was very personal. It was written over the course of like about eight years, maybe. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot's changed since the first album, The Blood of Celestial Kings. And even when that album came out, we were really hard, hard at work on the Red March of Solemn Gods. So, I guess there was a bit of an overlap between my life when the first album came out and my life now, where, you know, I've managed to settle down a bit more and you know because the early days were a bit chaotic you know there was so much going on and lyrically first album like was always specific subject matter whereas like i say this new album is a bit more sort of personal to me and give me time mm -hmm. to really sort of um be a bit more introspective and sort of be honest with myself and just write lyrics that i want to hear more than anything i think that was really what it was about i just wanted to sort of spend time with the lyrics and really like uncover as much as i could and there's still a lot of uh, folklore in there, especially for like, you know, Northern Europe and England in particular, but it deals with it in a way that is personal to myself. You know, my own experiences of, you know, being out in the wild in places where, you know, all these sort of weird or mysterious things have happened over the past, like, you know, thousands of years. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, there's Roman ruins not far from me and castle literally behind my house. You know, so I'm always surrounded by you know, the myth mythological side of things. And I really wanted to get that across in the lyrics. And yeah. 
I think it's really cool that you, you bring your personal experience into uh, the mythological theme of your of your albums, of your writing. Why did you choose to go that route instead of specifically telling a story or specifically saying, like, this kind of happened to me and these are the feelings I'm having? Well, I think it was to, to make, make it slightly more um, open to interpretation rather than, you know, specific tale about myself because, you know, I don't, I'm quite generally quite secretive anyway. I'm, you know, I don't really uh, feel the need to be that open about things to, to most people. So, you know, obviously trying to write lyrics when you are all that way inclined can be difficult if you just think okay i want to write a song about myself but because i don't need to express that side of me i express it through the music and through these lyrics you know so what you're hearing is a personal side to me but it's written in a way that's um you know open to interpretation rather than you know a specific tale about like some chaotic experience i had or whatever so mm -hmm. And it's cool that you uh, you incorporate a lot of first-person lyrics. Like, there's a lot of I, we, you, that kind of stuff in yeah. uh, in both albums. But I think there's more more of a draw towards that in your second album. Was that like a conscious change, or is that just something that naturally manifested itself? Well, like I say, it was it was to make it more personal. Yeah. And but also to give the listener a sense of um, involvement in it in a way, because like I said, the lyrics are pretty much open to interpretation. So I thought, well, if I can at least address you know myself, or someone can be addressed in the lyrics it makes it easier for the people to get on board mm -hmm. rather than just like reeling off some sort of like history fact sheet or whatever yeah it's a little bit more engaging in that way yeah that's ultimately for me what like a good metal album should be you should put it on and you should be sort of you feel like you're part of the journey mm -hmm. and so that obviously would come through in the, in the way you write your music as well it seems like um the whole album was put together as something that should be listened to uh in one go rather than picking and choosing what you want yeah, it, it really should. It's it's not like a concept album as such, but it definitely borders on, you know, having a sort of overarching theme of, you know, which does tie it all together. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at the same time, the, lyrics, the songs themselves, I feel, do stand out on their own. You know, you could put any song on and it wouldn't necessarily need to be listened to in a specific um, order. You just put a song on and, you know, you can go for what it is. It's not like it's a part one, part two, part three, whatever. You listen to things out of sync and it just feels weird. Mm -hmm. But this album, you know, you can pick and choose what songs you want to listen to. It doesn't affect the overall narrative, but, you know, there's generally, a, there is like a similar run theme all the way through it. Mm -hmm. And then you touched on earlier that you you often write in the mountains. Um, and then you've also mentioned in previous interviews that you kind of, uh, you've been to like forests and graveyards to write some of your lyrics, especially during the night and early morning. Um, for you, like, why is this so inspirational or important for you to do? Well, because it separates myself from, you know, the day-to-day -day world, I think. It's, I always feel like black metal should have nothing to do with the modern world. And I feel like when you take that out of the creative process, I feel like things start to really manifest a bit more. And, you know, it might be a bit of an old cliche to say, oh, I was in the mountains or the graveyard or forest or whatever. But the reality is, once you separate yourself from, you know, the day-to-day -day humdrum of life, that's when you can really sort of engage with your own mind as well, I think. And to me, that was ultimately the most important thing was being completely sort of separate from, you know, what was going on around me and just having a focus to write something in an environment that I felt was inspirational, really. You know, and, you know, you can't really write lyrics like this just sat on the back of a fucking bus or on a train or, you know, while you're walking around the supermarket. You know, you have to separate yourself from reality in a way. Mm -hmm. And those places generally are where you want to go to separate yourself because, you know, there's less people there most of the time, isn't there? So, well, and to get rid of some of that noise in your head, too. Well, exactly. Yeah, we all have that. Do you have similar rituals when it comes to writing uh, the music for guitar? Um, not necessarily, no. It's generally, you know, it's similar, well, similar process in a way. I try and, you know, seclude myself as much as you can. And then from what's going on around. Yeah, I generally don't really sit around, you know, the living room playing guitar. I have to sort of really focus, you know, in, in my studio area to sort of make things happen. But, you know, sometimes a riff will come to me in the day, just walking around or doing whatever and I have to get home and I have to try it out. You know, you never know what's going to come out to you. Some of the best, best, best material can be written in minutes and it just pops out and that's it. Whereas you could sit there slaving away for hours over a riff and by the time you, you know, get to a, a stage where you, you feel like you're happy with it you listen back to it a day later and it sounds like total shit so you know it it all depends on circumstances are the lyrics normally one of the last steps you take uh prior to uh putting everything together or do those normally come before the guitar 
generally music first before we do well I, I try and at least have an idea of where the lyrics are going <coughs> excuse me before we um especially before i bring it into practice and to rehearsals i like to have at least you know an inkling of how the riff will sound once the lyrics are over it because you know i like to write as much as i can before i introduce it to the band mm-hmm. because that way i know where you know i know where to take it and i can know what to say to the lads to sort of get them involved rather than me just going oh fucking uh here's a riff let's see what happens and you know that, that can work sometimes but i'm a bit of a perfectionist in a way i like to know that like i know where the song's going before i start to show it off you know what I mean? so, yeah but lyrically yeah. i do like to have something at least to hum along to just to get just to give the lads a feel for how it will sound once the lyrics on there have you ever encountered uh, any strong opposition to either your lyrics or guitars? And if so, how do you guys work through that? No, I mean, we generally have been um, quite well received, really. I don't really know why anybody wouldn't embrace what we do, because I suppose in a way it's it's so sort of uh, traditional, you know, classic two guitars and, you know, musically as well, we're quite traditional. So I feel like you either know what, what we're about and you're into it anyway, or you sort of like don't get it and you don't care. So I think it's, we can be quite you know, uh, divisive really, you know, people either want to listen to sort of this traditional style of heavy and black metal, or, you know, they don't care for it. They want to listen to gentle, some bullshit, you know, I don't know. People listen to it <laughs> these days and I'm quite old fashioned. So I wouldn't, I don't even know what's going, what's going on in the next thing. <laughs> it's going in so many different directions. It's crazy. Like we have, um, like, I wouldn't even say the resurgence, but like the continuing a continuation of like old school uh, metal, like whether it be black metal, death metal, thrash, all that kind of stuff. But then there's all these different bands that incorporate different genres into their music and they try to experiment. Um, anyways, uh, what about within the band? Like, have you guys had much, um, I don't want to say confrontation. That's not necessarily what I'm asking, but like when you're working through producing your music, how do you guys work through kind of um, speed bumps, if that makes sense? Well, generally we're all on the same wavelength. So, it makes it a lot easier when there's no one pulling in a particular direction saying, oh, you know, we need to start incorporating this or, you know, this sounds a bit too weird. You know, it's generally, we wouldn't really bring something to the table that we felt wasn't right. Um, but I guess, you know, it, that's why for me, the beauty of working on my own quite a bit is to have, you know, a good sort of like foundation to build a song on rather than trying to just bring something along and someone else saying, oh, how about we go in this direction with it or we add this weird riff or... For me, I like to at least have like a good two, three minutes of the song written before I even start, you know, bringing it to the table, really. And generally, it's been okay. I mean, myself and the guitarist, Paul, we write all the music, really. And um, I mean, the lads will bring ideas to the table as well. But generally, Paul and I will bring as much as we can, and then we'll take it from there, really. So, and me and him are on the same wavelength. I mean, I generally like a more traditional structure of, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, stuff like that. You know, I like just, you know, a good old-fashioned song structure. Whereas he likes to do something a bit more sort of like progressive and, you know, try not to repeat too many riffs in places, you know, just to keep it fresh as the song goes through. But I feel like that's a good mix to have because, you know, you for me, I like to have like a good solid, um, not single on the on an album, but, you know, at least like a song that you can sort of stand out a bit more in terms of, you know, not that we've done a music video, but eventually, like you know, something like you can put out, the, you know, for me, I like to have something like that. Yeah, but, um no, and it's a good mix, I think. So, mm-hmm. for you, what goes into choosing like a single? How do you choose what will be the first song that you release of your upcoming music? I think well, for the last two, we had we had the first one was um, "Essential Salt of Human Dust," which was on the Blood of Celestial Kings, mm-hmm. and the second single was "Discipline Through Black Sorcery" of the Red, Mar- Red March. Um, both of those songs were very um, sort of you know, hesitant to say catchy as such, but they had like a lot of like melodic hooks and things and big chorus and stuff like that. So they were the, naturally the ones that we thought might resonate with people more. Um, but yeah, we never really set out to write anything like that, that you know, would be a melodic song as such, um, mm. you know, putting it out as a single, but it was just the way it worked out really. And we thought, well, let's see how these two go out. Go out. And uh, yeah, they did quite well. So. Yeah. Um. In a previous interview, you also mentioned that you guys cut four songs from this album since they didn't really match like the theme. Um, have you made a decision as to whether or not they'll be released as an EP or on a different album? Well, we're actually hard at work on um, an EP at the moment for release next year. Nice. Um, some of the songs were were, were were written during the Red March sessions. Mm-hmm. 
but we had so much material going into the recording that we um it wasn't that we didn't feel it was good enough it was just we didn't want to blow the album out with too much you know it's i feel like for me 44 45 minutes is you know maximum for an album really. when it starts getting to the you know the hour mark mm. you know it's uh, it gets a bit much i think like i haven't got the patience for it myself so I mean, the first album was only half an hour. I mean, well, technically it wasn't an album to begin with. But the second album, we thought, let's just keep it 45 minutes, you know, nice and traditional size. And, um, yeah, anything else, we'll work on it for a future release. So, yeah, we're working on an EP, which we're going to record in February back in Fold Studios in Wales, where we recorded Red March with uh, Chris Fielding, who's helmed, like, Winterfellith and Conan and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Um so we're looking about maybe like four or five songs, and there's a bit, there's, there's new material specifically for the EP as well. So, um, and we're also hard at work on the next album. So we've got quite a lot of going on at the moment. We, we just basically want to try and strike while the iron is hot, really, and keep as much, you know, keep ourselves like busy and having releases like in the pipeline rather than leaving it six years like it was between the last two albums. Hmm. So yeah, hopefully next summer we'll have the EP out. Nice. Do you have a title picked out or any artwork? I've got an idea for artwork, but um, no, uh, not, it's not, not titled just yet. I've got enough. a few ideas. Uh, speaking of artwork, and I know we chatted before the show here, I love the album cover. It's such a cool, it's such a cool package, like with the gold uh, logo and everything like that. How and why did you end up choosing this image specifically for your release? Um, well, we wanted to get like a, a sort of hearse-type carriage on there. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but... Um, Back in like sort of late 19th century, early 20th century, the, the horse-drawn hearse carriages used to be all carved and intricate with, you know, like statues on the sides and things mm. like that and spikes on the top. And for me, that image just always resonate, resonated. And I thought, I really want to get, I mean, it's not like new to have a carriage or a hearse on the, on the front of a metal cover, obviously, but we just thought like, for us, it represents exactly what the lyrics are about as well. You know, that sort of spectral army and you know, death marching through the land. And funny enough, it came out before the pandemic. <laughs> Literally, well, the, uh, the artwork was, was being drawn up before the pandemic started. So it was like, when it finally came out, it was quite ironic in a way. You know, that all the shit was going on and the, the album cover sort of uh, almost, <laughs> it's almost matched the fucking predicament we were all in. But yes, yeah, it was just, um, you know, we love King Diamond, Abigail, one of mm. like, my favorite albums. And, you know, the, the carriage on the front and obviously the Somber Lane, stuff like that. So yeah, it was just it was almost like a homage to those those albums, really. Mm-hmm. You know, between snowy backdrop and, like I say, the mountains and cemetery and things like that, and Lady Death figure in the middle. You know, it, it just came together. It was just it was for me when I drew the sketch up to send to the artist. It was like I knew exactly how I wanted it all laid out, and he just got to work in no time and got it done like so quick. It was almost like he knew exactly how to do it. So. So you said you uh, sketched this all out before sending it to the artist. And I'm sorry I didn't check this out before, but um, who did you work with to complete the finished product? It's an Indonesian artist called M. Faxi. Okay. Um, he does predominantly just black and white, you know, drawing work and pen work. Um, he's done like stuff for Mayhem and Necrot, stuff like that. But I'd never really seen him do much. Well, definitely no one in the in the UK. Mm. So I thought, well, he's almost like an untapped resource. And his work's like quite vampiric and very sort of like grim and cryptic and like it's um just really like sinister looking, lots of like angles and spikes and things. And I thought like we could build up a good like partnership here. So yeah, just we did the discipline cover with him, and then that gave him an idea of what we wanted. And then mm-hmm. when it came to the album cover, I said basically, yeah, I want this same army. We just marching through the snowy mountain pass, and he was like, okay, I know exactly what you want. And then yeah, it came together really quickly. Then oh, that's we've had cool. all the stuff done since then. Yeah, we've got the we've got a new merch design drawn up, up a pre-order at the moment, like a sort of werewolf theme, mm-hmm. and he's doing the artwork for the upcoming European tour as well. So, and he'll probably do the EP cover as well. Then. When is the European tour? Well, it's um, not been announced yet, but it's August. Sorry, no, okay. uh, October, October, okay. first week of October. Awesome! I think I th- saw a post on your Instagram about that. Yeah, so we well, we put a few like teasers out there about it, but. Mm-hmm. We've managed to get most of the book now, so I'm going to announce that in the next few days. I think, so. Awesome. That's really cool. Did you end up seeking him out specifically because of the artwork that you um, you encountered of his prior? Yeah, well, I'd seen his design for, for Mayhem. It was um, 
was a merch design. Mm. And I thought, well, that's really cool. Like a sort of really grim style. I mean, I love um, old books and like illustrations from like the 19th century, early 20th century, like Harry Clark and Aubrey Beardsley, things like that. So, you know, anything black and white and I'm automatically hooked. So I thought, okay, well, we can build up something with him. And to be fair, I asked him if he could do like a painting originally, but he's actually colorblind. So he has to work in black and white just to, you know, to get his work done. But yeah, I think it's quite incredible. Because, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would use color blindness as an excuse, but this guy, he's obviously got that clear talent. Well, I'd say it doesn't make, it doesn't make effective in any way. Like, he's fucking absolute master of his craft and proud to work with him. I think it's pretty cool that with the onset of the internet, like we can now start working with people across the world. It doesn't matter where they're from and you can see their artwork like almost instantaneously or hear their music same same speed, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty incredible. I mean, I, I was using the internet back in like the 90s and you tried to find the song or whatever online. You couldn't <laughs> you couldn't find a fucking song online for love no money and eventually Napster came out and you could find a song but it'd take about two days to download the fucking thing. If you could even find it. So... And then half the time it wouldn't even be a song; it would just be static. Yeah, exactly. Or it would someone would like call up the house while you were downloading it, and it would fucking cut off. And stuff. Yeah. But you know, do what you had to do back then, didn't you? Another cool touch that I love about your album is that you guys released it um, on purpose on April thirtieth. Um, so, what was a special occasion, and for you, how does that tie into your music? Well, you know, it was our Burgess night, and it was just made sense, really. And, you know, if it's the theme of the album. You know that sinister vibe, and you know, you just I, I like to sort of tie things to specific dates, like full moons or whatever. You know, it, I don't know. It just for me, it just gives it more of a sense of power in a way. You know, and be forever associated with that rather than just some random date. Mm -hmm. You know, so every anniversary of it, now we will try and you know, do something to you know remember, remember it in some way. I don't know. It's just sort of a, for me. I feel like dates have power. You know, and this is why you know people still celebrate fucking all sorts of like amazing pagan holidays you know it's just mm -hmm. it's been ingrained in our subconscious but we associate certain events with certain dates so i thought well we need to get it out we don't want to be leaving it till the obligatory like uh halloween release so i thought well <laughs> next best one is uh, the end of april so yeah well and like being a fan of uh like history mythology and obviously fantasy that's something that definitely ties into like i guess the the overall theme like you said earlier yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's just, uh, it just needs to be done. I didn't want to release it on a random day, so. Mm -hmm. When it comes to your upcoming EP, uh, what aspects of Dreadmarch are you trying to keep consistent, and how do you feel the new material will compare to your last two releases? Um, well, like I say, some of the material was written with Dreadmarch in mind, so there's a few songs which very much, like, specifically fit into that, but there's a sort of slightly... Hesitant to say slower song, starts slightly slow, but it, um, you know, picks up pace. It's almost a bit more sort of like dissonant sounding mm. than what people maybe like expect from us, but still fits the theme of the music and everything. But um, yeah, I thought like if we have an EP, it gives us more sense. It gives us an excuse to experiment slightly a bit more than on the on the album where you know we want to be totally focused. Um, I'm not saying there's anything like too experimental on there, but you know, it's just gives us a bit more breathing room rather than thinking okay well we want the next album to just be total fucking like killer from start to finish not that the new material isn't but you know it's just nice to have a bit more artistic freedom yeah with exactly. an EP. So, well you know we're, we're treating it just like the album to be honest with you i mean personally you know i've totally like locked into that sort of like way of thinking now every day i'm going over ideas and starting to write lyrics and you know listening to the demos that we've got and um for me yeah it's already starting to come alive now so be interesting to see how it all comes together in the studio really i mean i probably won't be too far removed sonically from red march the few things that i definitely want to do are slightly different on this album um not like listening to any sort of like feedback from anybody but just for my own personal satisfaction you know way to be mixed slightly and more reverb on the fucking toms you know things like that just <laughs> stuff i wanted on the last album but I had to fight tooth and nail for but on this next release i think we have more of a clear vision of how we want it to sound. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it turns out. Well, and, uh, most of you guys have been working together for quite a few years, so I think it's probably a little bit easier to lean on each other and kind of trust where everybody wants to go with the music. Yeah, this is it. So, I mean, that's why, in terms of writing music now, it comes together so quickly because Paul and I can almost finish each other's riffs 
you know, I know exactly how he's going to, you know, put together a song and he knows what sort of like harmonies I like. And it, yeah, it comes together quite well now. So a lot, a lot easier than it used to be, you know, when we first started. Speaking of first starting out, you started playing bass guitar when you were 16, right? Yeah, that's right. I was 16. It was uh, 22 years ago. Holy shit. So when did you switch over to regular guitar? And then also, when did you start pursuing vocals? Well, I started playing guitar not long after playing bass, to be fair, but just sort of like my own. Not, I never sort of like played it in a band as such, but just, but funny enough, one of the first riffs I ever learned was Dempra. Um, what do you call it? It was, well, it was off, um, you know, the Thorns Emperor Split. It was Eerie Descent off, off that, well, originally a Thorns song. Uh, that and like pretty much like the whole of Nightside Eclipse <laughs> just sat there fucking trying to pick it apart and you know even though it's like completely swamped in reverb and everything yeah and the Black Wizards I think one of, that was one of the early songs I ever learned but that was for me like when I started playing guitar you know at the time like even though you had like your classics like you know Megadeth, Metallica, Maiden, whatever it was new metal was the big thing unfortunately so you know, wherever you went, people were just playing fucking new metal guitar, like shitty, you know, two notes over and over and like bollocks. So I was like, I just had no interest in playing that. So I would always wanted to play traditional style heavy metal. And, you know, obviously you learn in Metallica and stuff straight away, but I really wanted to push myself even then. And that's why I started trying to pick out some Emperor riffs. And um, for me, you know, when I started playing guitar properly, I, that was the only thing I ever wanted to play. I have no interest in playing, you know, just any other type of metal really I played in like a doom band and a bit of a death metal band for a bit but nothing that you know sort of like intrigues me as much as black metal does I feel like you can just play you can add so much to the black metal guitar playing mm. you can take it wherever you want really it still sounds fucking awesome whereas other genres you're slightly more limited what is it about uh, black metal specifically that really draws you in I think it's probably the mystique and you know the sort of power behind it all you know not so much like the drama of it in the early days, but just mm. that whole fuck you vibe where it's, you know, completely against the grain. You know, you don't need to, it shouldn't be like, you know, a sort of inclusive thing where, you know, people can just fucking come and go and treat it like some sort of like cultural fucking tourism trip. It should be like, you should either be in it or you shouldn't. You know, for me, it shouldn't, um, you either get it or you don't. And if you don't get it, fuck off. You know, like I can't, um, it, I don't think it's something that you can just turn off and on. You know what I mean? Kind of like you're either taste. totally invested in it. Yeah, I mean, you can listen to whatever you want, but for me, it's like, it's more than just like a lifestyle. Mm. It's fucking, it's vital. I mean, really, I can't, I can't really describe it any other way. And I know we've probably touched on a few of these already, but who are some of your favorite bands? Well, like I say, I'm very much into the old, old school stuff. So, I mean, just like Bathory, Emperor, I am, Dissection. Um, Absu, you know, just like, really like, Fast and melodic bands, I think, more than anything. Um, I don't really listen to any death metal. So, yeah, that's pretty much it, really. And then, you know, the obligatory Metallica and all that stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Like a lot of 80s bands, too. King Diamond, obviously. Metal Fate. We'll be seeing in Bergen in a few weeks, which will be good. Um, but, yeah, just the older the better, really. I've just I've no interest in the modern me metal scene at all. So, so it keeps it sort of um, easy, really. I don't have to worry about checking out all sorts of new bands because I just don't fucking care. So. Yeah, fair enough. It does get <laughs> overwhelming like, at times. It's like almost unlimited amount of music, and then you're sitting there thinking, like, well, how the fuck am I going to keep up with this? I know. I mean, that's it. I mean, you go on YouTube and there's a new album every day, isn't it? Yeah, you know, basically. Like, you know, I follow a few channels on there just to keep abreast of general stuff, but I never have a chance to listen to anything. I have enough time to be, you know, want to listen to my own stuff and old stuff, and that's about it, really. <laughs> that's yeah. all I've got time for. <laughs> Are there any uh, more modern black metal bands that you're a fan of? Well, no, this is the problem. So, um, I like the Nidrosian scene. Have you ever, ever heard of the bands from like Trondheim, Mara, One Tail, One Head, Hood and Rife? I mean, they're pretty good. Um, but because they're very like tr traditional sounding and all of those guys have been in bands for like 20 odd years. So even though they never like broke out of the mainstream, well, you know, not the most black metal thing fans do, but um, they don't do as much as you know, some of the other bands do in the rounds these days. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they live for their fucking craft as well. You know, they sweat and bleed for it. So, they're the sort of only bands that I've got time for, really. But um, other than that, no. <laughs> There's not really anybody <laughs> I can think of. 
would you be more likely to listen to a newer band if they had members um, of previous bands that you were a fan of? Uh, well, not necessarily, because it all depends on what they're playing. I mean, most, you know, when was the last time one of the older bands put out an album that was really fucking incredible? You know, most of it, they just like, they release albums under, under a known name. And, you know, it's just their bread and butter, really. So, I don't know. They'd have to really sort of like grab me, sort of make me want to listen to it. But I don't know. I'm just sort of like stubborn and setting my ways, really. I don't <laughs> I don't have time to listen to anything else really on what I know I'm like. <laughs> so that's pretty much it, really. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you, you can kind of equate it going to the same restaurant or having the same stuff to eat all the time. You know what you're getting yourself into. You know that you really enjoy it. You get the same feelings out of it. But if you take a chance and you hate it, you're going to regret that time lost or that, that experience. And I think as well, being in a band, it gives you more perspective into like, um, well, I guess for me, almost in like a sort of jealous way. I don't want any other bands to be doing anything more than, than we're currently doing. So, you know, I feel like all of the bands can just fuck off and die. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> just be a fucking dickhead. But you know what I mean? It's like, for me, like the only band that matters is, is in cast. Like everything mm-hmm. else can just, you know, I don't really care about. I do really like that you're bringing a lot of that old, like mid nineties, like kind of melodic style black metal to, I guess putting like a more modern twist on it, if that makes sense. Like for me, I'm not a huge fan of that raw, um, grainy, like, yeah, raw sounding is probably the best way to describe mm-hmm. it, but I couldn't really get into that. And so for me, venturing into black metal is a relatively new thing. But when I heard this album, I was like instantly, um, I don't know, I was intrigued. I was pulled in and I just, I, I every time I listen to it, I listen to it front to back. Well, I think that's um, generally how a lot of people have embraced it really, because it's um you no, know, it's obviously a modern metal album, and there's nothing that you know I can do about that. Really, it's you know, nothing going back in time and sort of like recording it back in the day, or you know, going to a studio and only recording on vintage gear and you know, using fucking tape and whatever else, and you know, you know, try and make it old as possible. But the reality is, we still wanted to sound slightly modern to you know to give it that like edge rather than it being just like a grainy fucking necro recording. Mm-hmm. You know, we still wanted to make it sound sonically good. Um, but, you know, keep some of the rawness as well. Because, you know, I can't really stand on modern albums where everything sounds too processed and guitars are being completely fucking sucked dry of the, of the like, of the top end. And, you know, everything sounds really woody and, like, I don't know, quite sterile and boring. For me, I wanted to have that cold bite. You know, when you listen mm-hmm. to, like, an old black metal album, you know, one that's been relatively well recorded. I wanted to have like that cold fucking guitar tone that really like chilled you to your bone. And you know, the big fucking pounding like 80s drums with loads of reverb and the, you know, the gunshot snare and all that stuff. And so obviously, you know, you've got to process it to get that, but it's doing it in a way that sounds organic. Like we didn't over overdub the guitars too much. You know, we tried to keep it as simple as possible. We didn't play to a metronome. You know, it was just totally like, okay, we'll play to the best fucking drum track we've got. Um, and I feel like it sounds way more organic that way than, you know, like sometimes I'll hear like a modern metal song and I think it just sounds like somebody sat there with fucking, you know, a click track and sat there for like eight hours just playing the same fucking note over and over to try and get it tight. You know, I can't, for me, it needs to have that organic feel where you can hear the guitar strings or something slightly off or, you know, it, I just wanted to get that across. And, you know, we I think like we straddle the lines between traditional and modern in that, in that regard. So, um yeah, a lot of people have said they've they've liked the production on the album, and that's that's part of the reason they they like the album is because it's still got that fucking power, but it doesn't sacrifice any of the sort of old style. So. I like that you touch on the the fact that you try to make it sound more organic, like um, the fact that you're not necessarily sitting there to to a click track, um, maybe putting too much effort into the guitar pro thing or too much time and uh, not necessarily effort, but mastering in a way that sounds too perfect. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of all like the original. You know, black metal albums or like the 80s some traditional you know, metal albums or thrash or whatever is they all have that like organic quality because you just couldn't afford to sit there for weeks on end recording the same guitar track over and over you had to get it done as quick as possible and if there was a few fucking like little hiccups here and there it was just tough shit mm-hmm. you know so that's the way we approached this album it's like we only had a week to record it so we were running against the clock anyway we didn't have the luxury of just spending like a whole week on the guitars like some bands do now yeah exactly you know we'll, we'll use the same process for the next album as well probably but maybe a bit longer depending on what we have but for the ep we've only got a week so it's like well we've got to get in there we need to know what we're doing and we need to fucking smash it straight away so 
and whatever happens at the end of it is like how that stand. So you better not be shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> you better go in there and know what you fucking play. Well, if you're able to go and do that and record um, with like a few hiccups here and there, it's also kind of reflective of what you guys are going to be doing live. And I think that if somebody yeah. spends too much time curating an experience for the album, they're not going to be able to replicate that on the stage as well. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, we're very much like a live band. We always have been. You know, we've, you know, when we play live, we don't just stand there. It's not just like we're playing some fucking frog or whatever, where you just stood there with your guitar high up, focused on what you're playing. You know, it's it's almost like a thrash show in a way, you know, for us. You know, we're all there fucking heads down, head banging. You know, sometimes the crowd's giving it beans too. And, you know, we get stuck right in. There's no, we're not one of those bands that will just stand there, mm-hmm. you know, like we're just playing along. You know, we're pretty much fucking on that stage. And the second, like, my first note to the last note, you know, we're nonstop. So if there's a few fucking hiccups here and there during the set, then so be it. But, but the passion and the energy that we put in mm-hmm. makes it all worthwhile, I think. And now, kind of moving into your personal life, I noticed on your Instagram, uh, you have a lot of pictures of the outdoors, like whether it be castles, ruins, um, a lot of good scenery. So, and obviously you're you're big into hiking and stuff like that. Did you start to, did you have to do anything to officially or formally like learn photography or is that just an interest that took hold of you? No, I mean, they're just camera photos. I don't really have any sort of background in photography at all. You just like kind of being out there? Yeah, well, my girlfriend, she's like, She's really into, you know, photography. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, she just has like a really good phone camera and but you know, she gets some fucking amazing shots. And I think it's just having the eye for it really. You know, these days technology that you have in your hand is just fucking incredible. So mm-hmm. you know, you point and click and you can really get like a good photo that you know, you'd spend hundreds of pounds on like a crap camera back in the day just to have like a half decent photo, whereas now you've got it in your fucking fingertips, you know. So but yeah, I just you know, I'll see something good. But generally I just copy whatever she's taking a picture of and <laughs> sort of hope for the best but hers always look better mine always just like slightly shitter version of whatever she's doing <laughs> but yeah it's just like I say where we live you know the mountains and forests and lakes and everything it's so fucking um, picturesque it's hard not to yeah exactly. you know have the camera out the whole time really but I mean I do go hiking quite a lot and I run every day so I'm just always surrounded by you know some sort of nature really which you know I just try and at least try and take a photo of it and, I don't have time to post on Instagram half the time, but I like to look through, you know, yeah. <laughs> more like a fucking creeper than anything. <laughs> um, is camping popular where you come from? Very camping. Yeah. It's a lot of camping going on. We're motorhomes and shit. But, um, yeah, it's just, um, out of season is, is the best time when everyone fucks off. especially in the winter where it gets really cold and horrible. But for me, that's when the place comes up, comes to life. I think is, you know, you're surrounded by like, snowy mountains and everything else like so you know if you get like further up into the sort of like the more rugged areas like i say there's fucking roman temple roman temples and there's the roman ruins castle ruins and all sorts just scattered churchyards in the middle of fucking nowhere you know so it's got a very eerie vibe mm-hmm. but so even though it's can be quite touristy in the summer months during the winter it definitely has that sort of ethereal quality about it where it's just very misty and dark Yep. Well, like you said, it takes on a whole other personality. It seems like it's not even the same landscape. No, this is it. You know, for example, today, we're in the middle of, I guess, like heat wave here. So it's like 30 degrees. So it felt like we're in fucking Spain or something today. You know, people walking around in like shorts and t-shirts and all that carry on. But I was secretly thinking, I can't wait for them to fuck off. So when it's cold <laughs> again, <laughs> you know, so I can enjoy it for what it is rather than having to like feel like it's like a, a tourist trap rather than, you know, my fucking uh, mystical realm. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you ever do like overnight hiking trips or hike into campsites? Yes, do that whenever. Really, I mean, I can walk out of the door now and walk, take myself off into the fucking hill, and you can just walk for days around here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't do as much as as I, as I want to, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard it's not finding the time because I'm especially at the moment with all the material we've got coming up and gigs and everything. All my free time is spent on the band, but I do try and make at least like one day a week to get out there. That's probably really good for your mental health. Yeah, I mean, even my drive, you know, daily drive is like through the mountain. So nice. I generally try and stop for a few minutes here and there where I can, you know, take it all in. But I mean, I've lived up here for five years now, so the novelty hasn't worn off. I don't think I ever will, obviously. It's just like I moved up here for this exact reason because I love 
you know the surroundings so much but um yeah it's just every day it's just like a different experience when you're surrounded by the mountains and the, the, the forest and lakes because it's just they have like their own sort of like life force in a way you know each valley has like its own sort of almost like ecosystem sometimes you, mm -hmm. you can go between valleys and it's like raining in one it's sunny in the other and every day is just complete you know can be completely different from hour to hour so it's fucking really weird but it's cool yeah definitely what is your uh local like metal scene like is there uh, i guess there's a few questions in here but you have to travel far for shows and um are there any like sounds or styles of metal that are popular in your area well it's funny enough actually there's actually a, a black metal festival on one of the lake shores mm -hmm. on uh, lake windermere um one of the bands from slightly on the coast arrow arrow and fairness like a small town there the uh a, a guy called Paul. He's in a band called Light Dying Light. Quite good actually, but he puts on a metal festival on the lakeshore on this like logging campsite, which is really fucking cool. It sells out straight away. We've played that a few times, but that's only like half an hour drive from me. Well, it's not really anything cool. usual. Yeah, What's the so festival it's, called? Really, it's called Darkness Over Cumbria. Oh, cool. So it's worth checking out. I mean, like it. He does it twice a year. Mm -hmm. The last one was last weekend. And then there's another one in October. But the annoying thing is, we've played it three times, actually, but the, every time there's an event on that we're not playing, I'm always fucking busy. Never make it, which is annoying. Um, yeah, because you'd almost rather enjoy the show every once in a while than playing it. Well, that's it. You know, it's like I said, it's half an hour drive from Maine, which is nothing really. It's so close. And um, yeah, I just never get a chance to fucking go. But we're playing it again next year, actually, so that'll be good. But um, yeah, it's always a really like cool crowd because, like I say, it's sells out pretty much overnight i think it's only like 200 capacity but um it's just the same same sort of faces every time and you know it's almost like a little community in a way that people come all over the country for it because you know it's just going to be a fucking great event well there's something to be said about those smaller more intimate shows like um whether it be encountering the band members who play the festival it's in it's getting closer to the stage you're not um you know fighting for washroom space stuff like that there's a lot of benefits to smaller shows that i absolutely love well, that's it. I mean, we definitely prefer playing like smaller venues. Like I say, because, you know, we're very much like a live band. We want the crowd to be stood there in front of us. We don't want it to be where, you know, everyone just stood at the back or there's, you know, not enough people to fill the venue. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not massive bands, so it's nice to play smaller venues where people are just fucking totally up for it. Well, and because you're, partly because you're not a bigger band, the people that are coming to see you know your music and, they, and they're going to be engaged the entire time. Yeah, this is it. So... You know, we like to have that rapport with the crowd. We don't just, like say, stand there and ignore them. Totally, like, on their level. And to me, you know, that's what, when I go to a show, that's what I want to see. I want to see a band, you know, who are totally into it. Mm -hmm. And they know what they're doing and they fucking enjoy it, you know. That's why you go to a, a gig, right, isn't it? To see a band, like, put on a fucking performance, not just stand there picking their asses or whatever. Yeah, basically. I've been to a couple of shows and metal or not, like, there, there are a couple of artists that you, you can tell just don't give a shit and sometimes I feel that some of the bigger bands that have been around for a long time and I'll use um, I'll use an electronic DJ Benny Benassi I saw him once um, probably 2008-ish maybe anyways he was that was one of the worst shows I've ever been to because it just seemed like he pushed play on his laptop and didn't really care about the performance it was a smaller mm -hmm. venue which was cool but it just wasn't it wasn't that engaging it wasn't that fun and I thought it was a waste of money well this is it. you know don't want to Stand there bored like while somebody's just fucking cashing a check to you. You know, it's you want to feel like you're watching a show. And for me, that's what you know we've always tried to achieve really. And if anything, you know, we're gonna push it more next like year or so. Mm -hmm. You know, we start like because we're doing so many more headlining shows now. And, you know, I don't want to just turn up, plug in and play. I want to, you know, I want the band to start to come alive. Really, I want to have like a bigger stage show, you know, and just more sort of like atmosphere. Really, it's. You know, we started investing in the stage show before the pandemic. You know, we all bought like new amps and new gear and new guitars and everything. And fucking lo and behold, we couldn't play for like a year and a half. So, you know, it's just yeah, the way it goes. You know, but since then again, it's just all okay. Well, any money we get from the band, from merch or from record sales, we've just spent on new gear. You know, it's just keeping the band alive. So, you know, we generally. We're very fucking appreciative of people supporting us because you know it, it really does help to keep us going. You know, and you know we all work. Some of us, some of us have got fucking kids. Well, I haven't, but you know, some <laughs> of the guys have got kids and families and shit. And 
you know, we've all got very active jobs. So it's, um, you know, it's not easy to juggle being in a band and, you know, have like, you know, a, a full life outside of it. You know, we're all almost 40. You know, we're not fucking young fucking spriggans anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's basically for us now, it's we're either all in or we're done. You know, we can't really have it both ways. We either want to fucking do it or, you know, it's time to throw in the towel. I, you know, I, I just won't, I won't admit defeat until <laughs> I know we've pushed it as far as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, so that means like investing every fucking ounce of time or money or whatever we can give, take it happen, then I'll fucking do it. You know, there's nothing more important to me than, you know, pushing this as far as we can. Well, and like you said, this can't be something that you just pick up and do from time to time. It has to be something that you stay consistent with. But for me, ultimately, what it comes down to is the live show. Mm-hmm. You know, the albums, are, you know, see, that's what people want to hear. And that's how you engage people on a day-to-day level. But for me, I want to be on the road as much as I can. You know, and if that means we have to buy all new stuff, put on the best show we can possibly do, then that's just the way it has to be. And, you know, I'm happy to do it. So, you know, the, the next load of gigs we play this year will be sort of like testament to how much we try to push this, I think. You know, people will probably start realizing that we're not just some like, like fucking local band or whatever, you know, we, we're fucking aiming high with this now. So, yeah, I recommend if anybody's never seen us and listening to this and we're playing in their area, make sure you fucking come down and see what it's all about. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome to see you live. And there's also something to be said about um, seeing bands that you've never really encountered live. The reason I say that is because a few different times I've gone to shows with a headliner that I enjoy, but then I've been more surprised by the people leading up to it. And actually they've gained me as a fan. And so... I think that's the best way to find new bands that you like, because sometimes their live shows are way better than their albums at first. Well, this is it, exactly. You know, it's, I mean, you know, I'm proud of what we've done, but I feel like when you see us live, it's a completely different kettle of fish. You know, it's it's probably faster, it's probably more, way fucking louder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, we don't fucking scrimp on the on the volume, tell you yeah. that. Like, every single time we do a sound check, sound engineer is like, you're going to have to turn us down. I'm like, we're a fucking heavy metal band. Why do we need to fucking turn down? If anything, you sort your fucking shitty desk out because, you know, and, you know, if any way it's going now, like I said, the next load of live show is going to be like, I'm pushing for four cabs each, yeah. you know, guitar, because I want a fucking wall of Marshall, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit like that. and I want them all to fucking plugged in, you know, so if anything, people are going to have to fucking take it. But yeah, so it's just things like that, which to me will make the band fucking come alive more, I think. And, you know, I feel like what we, what, what we're doing now is a testament to like see how much you know we want to push this and yeah definitely come down like live videos off youtube and shit just don't do it justice i think you know no. you need to be there you need to be fucking deafened and you need to experience it in the flesh i think to get a full idea of what we're about well then you get the organic music that they that the musicians play and then you also get the passion you get their showmanship everything it's not just here's my cd and that's it it's a whole experience yeah. and unto itself well that's it i mean you see metal bands playing to fucking click track live and stuff and you know, I see guys with like fucking, like, you know, two snares, one for a trigger and one for a fucking, you know, it's just, I mean, like, come on. It's fucking ridiculous, isn't it? We don't, we don't use triggers on the, on the bass drum or anything. Like, just try and keep it as organic as, as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and if the drummer goes out, then tough shit. If I go out, whatever, you know, it's just the way it has to be. But it doesn't mean that we're not fucking giving it everything that we've got. You know, when we come up that stage, you know, we're fucking absolutely soaked to the bone. Mm-hmm. with sweat you know there's no like don't come off like it's not on the daisy I have to you... fucking peel my leather pants off like, <laughs> you know it's like glued to my legs just like oh, just that's the way it has to be do you guys have any other uh, tours or shows coming up before your European tour well we've got um, playing Reaper Festival in Manchester that's right at first week of September and then oh that's the only show and then the first week of October is sort of like we're doing a week in starting off in Belgium, mm-hmm. into Germany, Czech Republic, back through Germany, really. So it's not really like a full European tour as such this time around, but this is just like the first leg of it in a way. Mm-hmm. And then we're later on in the year, we've got a festival just outside of Paris, and we're playing Subterranean Manifestations 2 in London in uh, the end of October, actually. So yeah, we've got quite a few, and um, next year we're playing the Fortress Fest in in York, mm-hmm. and the Yorvik show in January. They're the ones we've all been confirmed so far, but we've got a few other ones. 
for a bunch of guys that are balancing like their their regular jobs with this band you guys have a lot of stuff on the go well this is it it's just a case of thinking well it's now or never yeah you know like i said we're not getting younger you know certainly don't feel old but what i mean is it's like i just want to make sure that i know i've pushed it as much as i can while mm -hmm. i can you know and i can't really imagine a life without being in a band you know to me it's like such an alien concept that i can't really compute it in a way you know mm -hmm. i've had months off or like a year off here and there and just felt completely empty i was like well, what what am i supposed to do with myself if not at least have some sort of musical endeavor to be fretting over you know because that's what it's all about i like the, i like the uh the misery of it in a way it's such freaking hard work you know but at the same time when you finally play something and it resonates with people it's so it's the most rewarding things you can do you know for me like the the ultimate testament was to see how people received Dread March because, you know, we recorded it in 2019. And some of the songs were going back to when we first started the band back in 2009 and 10, around that period. Some of the songs were written around then. So, you know, we'd sat with these songs for so long that when the album was finally released, I thought, well, people are either going to be indifferent to it or they're going to they're gonna like it. I don't think anyone was going to hate it and such. And I didn't really care either way, but... I was just intrigued to see like how quickly people embraced it rather than, you know, cause we're not on a major label or anything. We only had like Vendetta records backing us up. You know, we're not on like season of mist or whatever who has the, the luxury of just like bombarding fucking, you know, magazines with like news about things, but you know, it was just, okay, we'll give it a release on Vendetta and see how it goes. And yeah, the reception has been completely overwhelmingly positive. So, so to me, that was testament to like how much we've got, a good thing going on really with it and i thought well i can't really let it die you know it's me to push now and yeah it's uh finally picking up steam with the reception of uh dread march and like you know the gold the gold vinyl press has sold out within 24 hours uh you've had a relatively positive reception how did that change or how how is that different from the blood of celestial kings well i feel like we were never really happy with the first album anyway mm. and, well technically it wasn't even an album it was just an ep that Somewhere down the line, when it was, we sent it to Candlelight, got, they started calling it an album and it stuck really, but it's only 30 minutes long, you know, it's, it's not really an album. And it, if anything, it was just a collection of demos that we recorded. And even that, we'd sat on that for two years before it was released by them. So, you know, it was just by the time the album came out, you know, we'd all sort of like changed our perspective on what we actually wanted from the band. You know, our original bass player left and you know, we did a few tours around the, the, the release of the album, but I don't know, it was never really what we wanted people to think of us about. So we thought, okay, well, let's just forget about it and focus on the next album. And that's when we just basically hunk it down for a few years and started writing the next one. Really. Um, so I think we went into Dread March with a clear idea of where we wanted to take it, you know, musically and in terms of how we wanted the band to be perceived as well. So, and I feel like taking a step back from Candlelight to go with Vendetta for this next uh, the last album was was ultimately like a really positive step. It, it managed to sort of um, put us back in the underground in a way because I feel like you know when we signed to Candlelight for the first album, it was almost like we were running before we could walk in a way. You know we didn't really have the, the support or the fan base behind us to sort of like embrace our release at that level. So it sort of like came and went and. You know, it got some good reviews, but it was just, I don't know, it, it never really got pushed as much as like maybe, you know, it, it could have or we, we should have, or, I don't know. But it was basically, you thought, okay, well, we'll get that album out of the way and we'll focus on the next one, which will be the sort of real debut, you know, so, and then thankfully the reception for Dread March has been great. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, just being on a small label has managed to give us that underground sort of like kudos in a way, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's allowed people to think, right, they're not on a big label, you know, so maybe, they, I don't know, it's, Sometimes being on a bigger label can sort of like devalue you in a way, can't it? So, well, I think a part uh, for that too is because if you're on a bigger label, sometimes um, some bands might just fall through the cracks, or it might just feel like they're trying to get quantity over quality. Exactly. But what I think is really cool about Dread Marches um, and, and your attitude towards it is that you guys were introspective enough to look at it and say, "I'm not happy with our first album. Let's do a complete fucking overhaul." And this is what we want to do. This is how we want people to know us. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, that's why we took so long with making sure it was as perfect as we could make it. You know, we'd like to say we recorded it in 2019 in April. 
Um, and the first mix, we wanted to change quite a lot of it. So the next time we could book into the studio with Chris, we recorded it was until the October. Mm-hmm. He was away with Conan for most of the summer. So we were like, fuck, so we sat on the fucking like half-finished mix for half a year. And then we finally mixed it again, and there was a few more things we wanted to tweak. So we ended up like mixing it like two, three times before it was finally ready to go. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it just seemed everything just seemed to take so fucking long, you know. Was, and then we didn't come out until last year because of the pandemic. It was like the record pressing plants were delayed so long that we couldn't get it out in twenty twenty one. Sorry, twenty twenty had to be twenty twenty one. So it just everything just seems to take so fucking long with it. So even though we were sat on a finished product for like almost two years, at that point it was like just nothing we could do about it. So, but this next album and the next EP definitely don't want to repeat of that. So, but I'm being so proactive with it now, really, just try and get you know get it done because time is of the essence, really, isn't it? You can't fuck around. Were your guys' live performance stifled because of COVID restrictions? I know things were kind of easing up around that time ish, but I'm wondering if you were still affected by it. Well, you couldn't really. I think it was, we went on tour last year in last August, five days, it's around the UK. And I think everything has only just opened up like maybe like a month or two earlier than that, fully. But even then, there were still a few precautions. And you had COVID, you couldn't come in the venue and shit like that. And, you know, so it, even though we could start playing again, there was still a lot of restrictions in place. Um, so we didn't play a gig. The last gig we played was summer of 2019 it was or no sorry it's all right it was the autumn it was one of the um the festivals in the on the lake shore about it was the end of 2019 and then the next show wasn't until august 2000 2001 mm-hmm. yeah so year and a half just fucking crazy yeah that's nuts especially for somebody like yourself where you say you can't imagine a life without being in a band. Like, I can imagine that feeling being uh, kind of compounded about uh, with like live shows. Yeah, it was really fucking weird. But um, yeah, it was, we just sort of like had to make do really. And, you know, I, thankfully I, I made the most of the lockdown period and I was just completely focused on on getting Red March finished in terms of like the, the artworks and yeah, the discipline single release before that. Managed to get know that out at least in 2020 so that gave us something to promote for like a full year really which is good um but no i mean it actually sort of embraced the lockdown period i had i was working nine to five on the band so it was fucking awesome for me i got you know i couldn't fault it really you know i was working really hard i managed to get so much shit done behind the scenes which these days whenever i need to do any band work sometimes it can take up to a week just to get most simple tasks done because i just don't have the fucking time you know so it's just like so back then it was like, right, okay, nine to five, do as much as I fucking need to do. Mm-hmm. But now, yeah, it's just a bit, it's a bit tricky, but make it work. It definitely makes you think think about the importance of, you know, being at work. It's interesting. Like as much as I love my job, I definitely wish that I could have spent more time at home during the pandemic and doing some more things that could have been more productive. But I can also see the opposite side of things where people were stuck at home and they weren't able to work. Um, they were going through a lot of other problems, of course. Well, this is it. I mean, I think I got lucky in a way, but... It was just, yeah, I just thought, well, while I've got this fucking free time, you know, might as well try and get as much as I possibly could. And, yeah. No shit. It's not about what comes your way, it's how you deal with it. Exactly. And, you know, I was just in the right place in the right time. I, had, I knew I had loads of work to do anyway, and all of a sudden I was off work for fucking, you know, a year and a half, whatever, stopping starting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, couldn't, couldn't fault it at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm really excited to hear some new music from you guys. In the meantime, while people are, are listening to this or looking through your old stuff, where is the best place for fans to find your music for you guys? Um, well, either YouTube or Bandcamp. You can listen to the full album on YouTube, either on the Black Metal promotion page, or it's, the songs are all on YouTube as well. And yeah, just Bandcamp. You can buy a lot of merchandise on there as well. We've got like some new t-shirts and hoodies up for pre-order. So that's still got a few copies of the the vinyl left, Red March vinyl. So yeah, if you ever feel the need to support supporters in any way, that's the best place to do it. Awesome, you know, Sounds we great. around the world. Yeah, we appreciate every fucking meal. Yeah, definitely. And um, I want to say I appreciate you spending this time with me and taking time out of your busy schedule to um to have this chat. 
No, it's my pleasure. And hopefully we'll see you again. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever we get the next release out, just give me a shout. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.